I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I was woken up in the middle of the night and given a sermon. And uh, I thought, God wants me to hold this sermon for when I get a call in the middle of the week saying, Pastor Chad is sick and can I fill in? So I held it for two months. And I preached it two weeks ago. <laughs> Timing is everything, isn't it? Well, it just so happens when Pastor John called me Wednesday, I woke up that morning with uh, a thought in my mind I just couldn't get rid of. And uh, as I thought about it, oh, that's, that's what the Lord wants. A while back, another believer and I had a conversation about a problem that we see within Christianity. And I don't have an answer for it, but let me tell you the problem, okay? It kind of comes down to this. An individual gets saved, praise the Lord, and, and they start coming to church. And they come to church and they want to they wanna learn about their newfound faith and they, they want to grow and they're excited. But it just so happens that their first Sunday in church, the pastor is preaching through a series from Zechariah. Okay? And applying its truth to some aspect of the Christian life. And, and that's good. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But here's the problem. The new Christian is on a kindergarten level. And the pastor is teaching junior high or senior high truth. And so it's, it's like learning to swim by jumping into a raging river. Okay, and then they, they kind of just get swept and tumbled around and you know what they're learning is good, but it's not really what they need. Christians, new Christians, and even some of us older Christians, we need to understand the, un, the foundation of the Christian life. We, we need step one before we get to step 40. Okay? Now, here's the problem I experienced as a pastor, and that is, who do you preach to on Sunday morning? Do you preach to maybe that new Christian? who's on step one? Do you preach to that Christian person who's been saved for 50 years and they're on step 3,422? You know, or in the middle? Who do you preach to on Sunday morning? Pastors can't preach on the level of the new Christian when there's more mature believers in the crowd that, that want to move on to, to more meat. And I'm thinking that this example that I've just given you is probably more the norm than the exception. If you ask the hundred Christians, what is it God wants from you? You might get a hundred different answers. So today, what I want to do is I want to get down to the basics of Christianity. I want to go back to step one. Okay, and make sure we all are on step one. That's the foundation. And you know, Jesus taught that if you build, but you don't have a solid foundation, the house is going to crumble. So let's all make sure we have 
that foundation. What is it that God wants from us? Now, there are people in the church who says, oh, the number one thing for Christians is we have to have a passion for evangelism. Okay. Others say, oh, the number one thing God wants from us, he wants us to worship him. That's good. Okay. Some people think, no, what God wants is holy living, holiness. And, and they would go to the Ten Commandments to define what it is that God expects of us. Or some would say, no, what God wants is godly character. Others would say, no, God wants you to have demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And others say, no, God wants you to use your spiritual gift. And you see where we're going here? You know, we're off in a hundred different directions. So I thought maybe we would try today to look at the Bible. <laughs> That's a good idea. Okay. And see if we can figure out what is step one. What is the very basic foundational truth that God wants us to understand? And I'm going to give you three and a half ideas. Okay. I'll explain the half later on. Three and a half ideas that maybe we could look at as to what it is God wants from us. Here's idea number one. God wants our obedience. Okay? That sounds about right, doesn't it? I mean, of course God wants our obedience. I couldn't stand up here and say God doesn't want you to obey him. Okay? In fact, a while back, I read in a Christian publication, really nicely written article that, that went on to say that the one thing that God wants from Christians is obedience. That's it. Well, when I read that article, something just didn't sit well with me. You know, I mean, it sounds good, but is that it? Is that step one for the Christian life? And I remembered a story, and I think I've told it here before, about a little girl who was running around the house, helter-skelter, just going crazy, and her mom finally had enough and said, stop, sit down, relax for a minute. And the girl went racing by, and she says, no, I don't want to. And the mom said, no, I need you to sit down. And the girl says, I don't want to sit down. And the mother said, if you don't sit down this minute, you're going to get a spanking. So the girl sat down. And as she's sitting down, she says, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. It's obedience, right? She did what her mother wanted her to do. But is that what God wants from us? Just an outward obedience with an inward defiance? You know, when Jesus was on earth, there was a group of people called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the most obedient people in the world. When, when the Bible said that they had to tithe a tenth of everything, they took the smallest little seeds and they counted them out. One for me, two for me, three, nine, one for God. And, you know, that's how obedient. They, they were meticulous in obeying everything that, the, that they were told to do. 
And yet, Christ had his harshest words for the Pharisees. He, he condemned them. He called them whitewashed tombs, you know, looking good on the outside, but full of rot and decay on the inside. So I have to discard idea one, that the number one thing God wants from us is obedience. So let's go to idea number two. And for that, I want, I want to go to the Old Testament and look at three passages of Scripture that has the idea of what, what is required. The first one is in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases him and love him and serve him with all your heart and soul. So, Notice what he says here. He lists, you know, basically four areas. Number one, God wants us to fear him. Two, he wants us to live in a way that pleases him. Third, he wants us to love him. And fourthly, he wants us to serve him. Those are four requirements that he gives here to the nation Israel. Okay, is that it? Okay, is that what God wants us to do? Is that the foundation of Christianity? Or how about over in Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. Here we read, God is speaking. He says, I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Okay, now obviously there was a problem going on. They were coming, they were, they were offering their sacrifices, their burnt offerings to the, to the Lord, but their heart wasn't in it. They were just doing a bunch of externals. He says, I want, I want you to show love. I, I want you to know me. Oh, those are good. Okay. Love God, know God. Good. Third one I want us to look at is found over in Micah, chapter 6, verse 8. Now, this is probably the most popular one that people I often hear quoted out there. In fact, as I did a search on the internet, I found that there are a couple ministries called Micah 6, 8. That's the name of their ministry. They get their, their mission from the, this verse in scripture. And in the NIV, it says, he has shown you, O mortal. Now, I have to stop there and just chuckle for a minute. It sounds like it's alien, you know, aliens. Mortals, here's what I want you, you know, King James Version, it's the word man. But of course, the women then feel left out. So they had to change it to mortal, make it more gender neutral. Okay, anyway, that was for free. All right. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, the prophet here is pointing out some general character qualities that were lacking in Israel at the time. They were doing the opposite of these things. And the prophet denies that any external form will make up for the lack of, of the spiritual qualities of the heart. And they were going through the motions. And, and he says, well, the first thing he says, he wants you to, to wants them to act justly. Uh, 
acting justly or doing justice, uh, defined as the quality of being impartial or fair. Uh, justice is defined as the quality of being just. It, it's righteousness. It's equitableness. It's, it's moral rightness. Do the right thing. Justice is defined as the quality, but it's also a call to action. Uh, not to be silent. Not to be complacent when others, especially the most vulnerable, are abused, mistreated, uh, in need, scorned, exploited. So it's not just a, a sense of moral indignation, but it's something that leads to an action, to doing something. The second thing he mentions here in Micah 6, 8 is to love mercy. Now, it's not just be merciful, but love mercy. It's not being merciful grudgingly, but it's having compassions towards those in need. Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas said this, justice and mercy are so united that one might ought to be mingled with the other. Justice without mercy is cruelty. Mercy without justice is profusion. So we should practice justice mercifully. We should practice mercy justly. According to the Encyclopedia of the Bible, it said this. It says, it is evident that mercy combines a strong emotional element, usually identified as pity, compassion, or love, with some practical demonstration of kindness in response to the condition or needs of the object of mercy. When God says here in Micah that, that Israel needed to love mercy, what he is saying is you need to put that into action. You need to show mercy. You need to show love. You need to show compassion to people. If you read about this period of history within Israel, what, what you read is that they were oppressing the poor. They were stealing land from the poor. Uh, they, they would bribe the courts to, um, to be able to take wealth and land away from people. And, and that's what Mike is kind of adjusting here. And then, then the other thing he says here is, is walk humbly with God. Walk humbly with God. Not arrogantly, not pridefully. You know, not using God as a, as a bat to hit people over the head with. Walking humbly with God. And that goes back, of course, to the cross. The extravagant mercy and grace of God uh, meets justice at the humility of Christ on the cross. Christ who gave his very life for our salvation. You know, we have the model of Jesus as, as well as the call and the command to walk humbly with God. And so, you know, I certainly can't throw these things, these three things out. I mean, these are obviously things God wants from us as well as he wants our obedience. But is this step one? Is this the foundation of the Christian experience? Is, is, this, the, is this the beginning point? I feel there's still something missing here. 
there's some spiritual principles that I have learned as I have walked through this exciting journey we call the Christian life. And, and let me give you just three of them. One is the cross comes before the crown. Now, we want the crown before the cross, okay? But the suffering comes before the glory. That's both true of Christ. It's true of our experience as well. The cross comes before the crown. Another thing I've learned is grace comes before faith. If we're not for the grace of God, all our faith would be worthless. And the third thing is being comes before doing. Being comes before doing. I did not do this count myself. I'm going to take somebody else's word for it. But in the Old Testament, there were 613 commandments given. Not 10 commandments. They get the good PR. Okay. 613 commandments in the Bible. Things God wants us to do or, or, or not to do. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. Keep the number 613 in your mind. Okay? Because I want to go on to idea number three now. And the idea three, we're going to call the greatest commandments. It's found over in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 39. We read, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 613, and they're asking him, which is the greatest? Okay, pin it down to one. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, I think we're getting close now to the very foundation of Christianity. I think we're getting close to answering our question. Jesus takes all 613 commandments and he reduces them down to two. Number one, love God. Number two, love people. Okay. If we love God, we will fulfill the first part of that Micah verse. We will... or. The last part, we will walk humbly before him. We will obey God if we love him. Those are all ramifications of the, the, the foundation block of loving God. If we love people, truly love people, we will act justly. We will love mercy. We will esteem other people better than ourselves. All these other commandments all seem to trickle down from, from that summary of 613 commandments. Over in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, John says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God, and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If love comes from God, then we cannot love others if we don't love God. Does that make sense? That's what it's saying, right? If we don't 
If we don't love God, we can't love others. If we do love God, then we, we will love others. So even the second command trickles down from the first command. Love God, trickle down, we will love other people. So if we want to reduce what God requires of us to its simplest form, then what God wants from us is for us to love him. That's rock solid bottom ground. That's foundation. Everything flows from there. Obedience flows from there. Submission, humility, evangelism, worship, using your spiritual gifts, having the fruit of the Spirit. It all comes from that one nugget of truth. That has to be the beginning point, right? I still have a problem. (laughs) That's that's true. That's right. Uh, Duel was correct. You know, it, but there's still a little something missing. I thought, and I thought, and I thought, and a verse came to me. So this is the half point, because I'm not discarding point number three, idea number three. I'm just going to add just a little bit to it. And we find it over in Ephesians, chapter 3. Paul says this, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that she may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Not only does God want us to love him, but he wants us to know how much He loves us. That's the picture. That's the package. Let me say it again in case you missed it. Not only does God want us to love him, but he wants us to know how much he loves us. If I had to sum up the whole beginning point, the whole very foundation of the Christian experience, it would be that. God wants us to love him, and he wants us to to know how much he loves us. Well, how much does he love us? Okay, good question. I'm glad I asked it. Number one, God loves us enough to save us. He loved us enough to save us. 1 John chapter 10, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 10. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He loved us enough to send his son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins that we might have eternal life. And by the way, eternal life is a lot more than just living forever. 
Jesus said, this is eternal life that you might know God. It's not a length, it's a depth thing. He sent his son to die for us. Uh, John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. The greatest example of love in the history of this world is God sending his son to die on the cross for us. Because our sins were placed upon him. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might have the righteousness of God. Now for some of us, that was a long time ago. For me, it was about 68 years ago that I first heard the gospel, how Jesus died for my sins. I was in kindergarten at the time going to a good news club. And I remember the person said, do you, do you want your sins forgiven and go to be with God when you die and live happily forever? And what kind of idiot would say no to that? You know, sure I do. Okay. How much did I know about God's great love? Oh, about that much, you know. But I knew that, that God loved me. That's all I knew. That is the foundation for the foundation. God loves us. So, not, But not only does God love us enough to save us, God loves us enough to never stop loving us. His love is unconditional. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Paul says this, I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, I love the, the detail he goes into because he knows that somewhere, somebody is going to try to find a loophole. Oh, but you didn't say, you know, that. So, you know, he, after going through, you know, angels, demons, present, future, powers, height, depth, then he finally just says, or anything else. Okay, he's covered all the bases. There's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There is nothing anyone can do that will cause God to stop loving me. That's comforting. You know what's more comforting? <laughs> There's nothing I can do that will ever cause God to stop loving me either. Because I'm covered in that, all those things that, that Paul wrote there under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing I can do that will cause God to stop loving me. In 2 Timothy 2.13, it says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. The moment we're saved, we're placed into the body of Christ, the universal church. For God to deny me, he would have to deny his son because I'm a part of the son. Even if I'm faithless, he remains faithful. God loves me enough. God loves you enough to never stop loving us. Now, most new Christians never get to attend a new believer's class right after getting saved. 
and they jump right into something. Those that get into a new believer's class are often told that the Christian life is now all about doing things. They get the cart before the horse. You know, when life gets difficult, when, you know, when we get overwhelmed, when, when people are pulling us in, in 13 different directions at the same time, and, and we're, you know, we're in overload, I think it's time to get back to basics. God loves me, and God wants me to love him. Did you notice a theme in all the songs that we sang this morning? It was that very thing. Either God's love for me or my love for God. Well, now that I've told you what, we have to do the, okay, how do we do that? How, especially, uh, you know, the first part's covered automatically, God loves me. The second part that we have a little difficult with sometime, and that is, how do I love God? Well, in, in 1 John 4.19, it says, We love him because he first loved us. In other words, our response of love to God is, is, is to his love for me. We go to the Gospels. And in the Gospels, we, we see Christ. We see him going to the cross. We see that demonstration of God's love. And then we get past the, the Gospels, we get into the epistles. Uh, you know, Peter and John, especially Paul, spells out how much God loves us. Starts giving us the details. And as we focus on his love for us, how much he's done for us, how much he's given us, then we develop a greater love for him. We love him because he first loved us. Years ago, I read a book. Well, I've read a lot of books but since then, but this one in particular. It's a book called The Shack. Any of you read the book The Shack? Okay, some of you have. Now, I don't agree with all the theology of a book. I don't get my theology from anywhere but this book, okay? But what a powerful message that book has on the love of God and how much he loves us. Now, it's been years since I read that book. Years. But it, it's one of the top two books. It's fiction, okay? The, uh, the other great fiction book I read is The Fisherman uh, by Larry Huntsberger. Um, but anyhow, the other day... We were looking through Netflix, looking for something good to watch on TV. And lo and behold, there's a movie called The Shack. And I wondered, could that be the same as the book? And so we turned it on. And sure enough, it was. It's the same thing. So if you don't want to read the book, watch the movie. Okay. Do whatever it is that focuses on how much God loves you. And you then will develop in your love for him. That's it. You know, it's simple. It's not simplistic. It's not easy, but it's simple. 
the very basics, the very foundation of what God wants for us is that we love him and that we understand how much he loves us. Let's pray. Father, I confess this morning that I have not spent enough time focusing upon how much you love me. And Father, as a result, my love for you has not grown as where it should be either. And so Father, I kind of take this time this morning to commit myself to, to saying I'm, I'm, I'm going to put aside all the other things. I really want to just focus for a while on your love for me. Father, thank you that you have not left us to flounder, to, to not understand uh, what it is you want from us. When there are so many messages being given out with so many different answers to it, Father, may we truly, truly just understand the simplicity that is the gospel. And Father, may we humbly give you the praise and the glory for what you do in us. I pray in Christ's name, amen.